0: All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We will not be in Genesis chapter 23. This was one of those weeks where, as it turns out, I had a whole bunch of, I I thought of two or three messages uh, percolating, percolating in my brain, and I, I really don't know any other way to phrase that, and I can't really describe it, but this is the message that won out. So, this is the message that you get this morning. This is the one that came to the forefront. It's been an interesting week to say the least. Um, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter six this morning. we're going to be in verses chapter uh, verses twenty five to thirty four at least that's where we're going to start um, because we're actually going to probably touch on a lot of verses if you're paying attention. So we're going to read Matthew chapter six verses twenty five to thirty four Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon on all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words, and I pray, Lord, that you just speak them, that your spirit speak to us, that you speak to our hearts, and that we take it in, Lord, and we keep it. pray, Lord, for your words. We thank you for the great encouragement and hope that's found in these words, in God's word. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I believe we are closer to the rapture than ever before. Of course, you say, of course we are. (laughs) Every day. We're just a little closer to the rapture than we ever have been before. But what I mean by that is, I honestly honestly expect it to happen in my lifetime. Now, if it doesn't, I'm not going to be embarrassed or disappointed, because I'll go to be with Jesus. And so, hey, I win on both counts. But I really do expect it. And obviously, I don't know the day or the hour, right? And the reason I expect it is really simple. The Bible, God's word, is clear on what the days will look like as we get closer to being caught up into the sky to meet Jesus. And then I see clearly what's happening in the world around me today. Not just here, obviously, but I mean, talking about Middle East and in Europe and everything that's unfolding that we see. And the two match up. So what I'm saying is, is that the word of God is my discernment, right? Concerning the signs and the times in which we leave, live, right? So what I see going on in the world is lining up with what I read in God's Word. Now, what I have noticed is this a lot of Christians are either ignorant, blind, or possibly deceived concerning the days in which we live, concerning the signs. And the times, because they see the they seem to see things completely differently than I do, than maybe you do. And just for the record, I don't expect anyone to see things eye to eye with me uh, concerning all biblical matters, right? I mean, we, we have different views possibly on, you know, concerning the rapture or when it will happen, for example. Or, but but we, you know, we both agree that there's going to be a rapture, right? Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for someone to go, what? <laughs> right? I mean, we might have different views on the tribulation, uh, on the end of days, on the time of Jacob's trouble, on the 70th week of Daniel. But at least we agree that there is a coming tribulation. And we're not in it yet. Understand? I'm not talking about have a, having a difference of opinion concerning you know, theological matters or even eschatol, escha, eschatology or, or whatever. What I'm talking about is that there seems to be those who are not even aware of what the Bible says about these days at all, right? Christians, Christians who have no clue, right? Say it isn't so. Yet it is. Why do I say this? Well, a couple of things, a couple of reasons. One, I made the mistake this week of reading some polls. I don't recommend it. You never, you never know what you're going to get when you read polls, right? I shouldn't have. However, I did, right? And on one hand, it's quite disturbing, the results. Uh, On the other hand, you have to wonder, just who is it that these people are polling, uh, that they're asking these questions to, and just how stupid are they? I mean, that's kind of what I have to wonder sometimes when I read these. But let me read you some of what I read this week. There was a, a study from Gallup. It was actually done back in July, so it's done a few months ago. That states a record low record low, 22% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. Right? That's, down, that's down from 24% when they asked the question five years ago, and that's down 50% from its high back in 1984. Which is telling you what? That our nation is in a spiritual decline. Okay? And the, strange enough, the Bible talks about it. Right? That there's going to be a falling away. So they got to that number by asking a very simple question, right? They said, which of the following statements comes closest to describing your views about the Bible? And then they gave them three choices. The Bible is the actual literal word of God. That was one choice. The Bible is inspired by God, but not to be taken literally necessarily. That was another choice. <clears throat> and the Bible is just fables, history, And moral precepts recorded by man. We can talk all day long about whether or not you agree with the questions or how, if you think they're worded correctly, or, you know, again, it's one of these polls and you always wonder, right? However, 22% said the Bible is the actual literal word of God. 22%. 29%, so one third of the Americans polled, said the Bible is just a collection of fables, legends and moral precepts recorded by man. 49% said the Bible is inspired by God, but not necessarily need to be taken literally. This is the first time since they've been keeping records in these polls, at least through, who was this one through again? Gallup, right? That more Americans viewed the Bible as not divinely inspired than as the literal word of God. One in three Americans saw the Bible as just a collection of man-made stories and writings. And when you filter those results by those who identify, I hate the word, but identify as a now common language, right? By those who identify as Christians, and it was 16% of those who said the Bible is just a collection of fables, were Christians. <clears throat> six, six. What? Sixteen percent of someone of people who identify as Christians say the Bible is not the literal word of God; it's just a collection of fables. That would be a problem, would it not? Then there's this other poll. Again, it's a poll, but Legionnaire Ministries they have this State of Theology survey. They do it ever so often, every other year. Twice a year, I don't know. They, they do it on a regular basis, which they conduct. And they found that evangelicals hold to a host of beliefs that are not supported by Scripture. Fifty-eight, 56, excuse me, percent believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Uh, nope. Nearly half believe in this poll. Nearly 50% believe that God changes. They obviously haven't read their Bible, where God says, I do not change. 70% strongly agree that Jesus, now listen to this, Jesus is the first and the greatest being ever created by God. 70%. That's heretical. Yes, Mormons. You know, maybe they interviewed a bunch of Mormons. 38% Thirty-eight percent they said that they saw Jesus as a great teacher, but he was not God. Remember, these are supposedly evangelicals that they're pulling, Christians. Sixty percent say that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. If you take that for a, if you take that and you put it with that Jesus is a great teacher, but he was not God, right? What do we see? We see a denial of the Trinity. think that the Holy Spirit can tell me to do something which is forbidden in the Bible. Let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something that's forbidden in the Bible, it's not the Holy Spirit talking to you. (laughs) You might want to question who's telling you that. Here's a promising one. 94% agree that the Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. A little glimmer of hope in there in this, poll. 57% believe everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. What nature is that? 65% think everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And I say, they've never had children. (laughs) Who knew exactly how to sin before you even taught them, before they could speak. Right, thirty-seven percent agree that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Actually, it's about absolute truth, but And that aligns with a poll that also came out this September through Barna that stated seven out of ten percent seven out of ten adults in the United States call themselves Christians, right? That's a good number. Yet only six in a hundred actually have a biblical worldview. Well, if we don't have a biblical worldview, right, what's a biblical worldview? Biblical worldview is, is viewing and understanding the world through the truth of God's word, right? Using the Bible as your plumb line by which you measure all other things, right? When your whole life, every area of your life is then formed and shaped and molded by the word of God, right? Your finances, your politics, your morals, your ethics, etc., cetera, on down the line, shaped, formed, and molded by the word of God. That's a biblical worldview. So what the poll is saying that is that what Americans do, supposedly, according to this poll, if only 6% have a biblical worldview, is that they blend their beliefs to create a customized worldview, <clears throat> a blended religion of sorts. And with a custom worldview, guess what? There is no authority because truth is whatever you say it is. All right? So assuming these polls are correct or at least close enough, what's the problem? Right? Well, I see a couple of things. One is a lot of this is a direct result of bad teaching in the churches, progressive Christianity, liberal Christianity as some people call it, and also an issue that's called biblical illiteracy, right? And let me just tell you that right now, today, is not a good time to be biblically illiterate. If one in three Americans see the Bible as just a collection of fables, right, and 16% of Christians think the same thing, well, that explains a lot about the days in which we live. <clears throat> no wonder Paul writes, right, that a time is coming. I say the time has come. He says a time is coming, right? but now it's come. When people will not endure sound teaching, right, which means that they're not going to endure God's word, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You can almost read that, right, as in they will create for themselves worldviews that support their own sinful lifestyles. And their own false truths. Because they don't want anybody telling them different. So, if your worldview is your filter that you use to see and understand and experience and respond to the world around you, then what worldview is informing your choices and decisions and responses in the times in which we now live? Is it God's Word? I mean, I hope it is. But if it's not, then how's that working out for you? You see, I ask because the responses I see personally run the gamut from worry, stress, anxiety, and fear to anger and hostility. (laughs) I see very little peace. right? I had a conversation. I came into work. I didn't actually have a conversation. I, I just came into work, and one of our coworkers was in the break room. This was before we opened. You know, we're clocking in and grabbing our coffee. And, and, and he is... He, he's loud anyway, but he was louder than normal. You could hear him outside. And, and he is not a Christian. And he is not conservative. And he is not Republican. And he is not... You know, any of these things that we... And he was upset. What was he upset about? It was just, this is actually a good thing. He said, if one more Democrat, if one more liberal, this is how he was phrasing it, tries to tell me that I need to start treating people who have a different belief than I have concerning abortion, if I need to start treating them badly, Right, start demonizing them and trying to, you know, cancel them, etc. etc. He goes, I'm gonna vote Republican. And so I stayed in the break room and listened to him. I'm like, Yeah, you go, man. All right, what are we talking about? Right, he's like, People have different faiths. I said, Exactly. He says, You have different religious views than I do. I said, Exactly. He says, my girlfriend and I, we went to the abortion clinic with our, when we were pregnant with our second child. He said, I walked in there. We made an appointment. We went through the appointment. And when we got done, I said, what the blank are we doing? We are murdering our child. He said, but I understand that other people might look at things differently. He said, so... If you think abortion is murder, he says, I think abortion is murder. He says, if you think abortion is murder, that's your faith, that's your belief, that's what you believe. Why should I tear you down if I don't believe that? And if people continue to tell me, he said, that I need to tear you down because you might have a different belief. He says, I'm going to vote Republican. I said, all right. It was an interesting conversation, but these are the responses I'm seeing, and they run the gamut. That was just one of many that I've had, But, but what I don't see is a lot of peace. I don't care if it's on this side or that side. The needle is, right, maxed. One way or the other, it's not in the middle anywhere. No one is calm. No one's peaceful. Everyone's freaking out, but you know what I should see within the church? Specifically, I should see a calming, supernatural peace mixed with an overwhelming sense of hope. Why? Because our lives are built on the unchanging and unwavering and immovable rock of Christ. And I don't see that. Not in the way that I expect. Maybe my expectations need to be tempered with. I don't think so. I think more people need to understand what God's word truly says, right? Unfiltered and not watered down. The word of God is the only reliable source of information concerning the days in which we live. God's word is a dependable source to turn to when you have questions concerning world events, but not just that, personal events going on in your life. You guys have personal things going on that are stressing you out? We do. Right? Yeah, never. Never says the blind deaf man from the front row. Yeah. God's word is clear on what the days will look like as we get closer to the return of Jesus. The Bible is clear concerning how people will act and how many will be deceived. And the Bible, God's word is always relevant. The Bible says this. So in Second Timothy chapter 3, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. What? We're not going through that, are we? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Right, Lovers of pleasure, lovers of self, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. You know what it says in Romans? It says, and since they did not see to fit to acknowledge God, which is what those people that he was writing about in Timothy are not doing. They're not acknowledging God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. See, God's word clearly describes the world in which we live. Strange how accurate it is, right? And so, I mean, have you guys talked to anyone lately about current events? I told you the expenses run the gamut. I mean, when you talk to someone, do they start to describe how upset they are? And then they get so overwhelmed from their frustration that they can't even finish their train of thought. That they just walk away, shaking their head. Because I have a lot of conversations like that. So how are things going? And they just walk off. They, they can't even form sentences. They can't even form a sentence. They're overwhelmed, right? Have you, have you talked to anyone whose job or life or loved ones are struggling right, in our current economy are greatly affected by the lawlessness and corruption they're seeing in real time, perhaps in their neighborhood or communities? How do they respond? Right? Do they just you know, recite the, it'll get better mantra? Or do they sit there, quietly lost in thought? Because it would seem that the worries of tomorrow have just overwhelmed them. I told you, I, I've seen, there's two responses that I've seen more than any other. One is ignorance. Right? Ignorance is a common response. And the other is anxiety. Okay. Anxiety, of course, as we know, as we've talked about many times, as we've been studying through God's word, anxiety is the most common mental illness in the United States. And it's at an all-time high. It has been for the last few years. Right, no surprise there. So, with that, drug use, alcoholism, also at an all time high. And guess what? Because of that, so are suicides and overdoses, all time high. And I wonder why. But actually, I don't wonder why. Because I know why. Right? Because their spirits are crushed. Because they've lost hope. It tells us Proverbs 18 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Right? Another translation says that if you lose your will to live, your hope is gone. Right? Proverbs 17.22 says a broken spirit dries up the bones. Dries up your bones. And we just read in Matthew, right, verse 27, chapter 6, verse 27. It says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? Well, none of you. Literal translation of that verse is uh, "Add a cubit to your height. That's a little translation of that verse in the Greek. Right? So when we let the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires for other things, as it tells us, when we let those things enter in, guess what? They suffocate us and they choke us. And they take away hours from our life. And to add injury to insult, we shrink. We get smaller. We get shorter. However, for us as Christians, the wars, the rumors of wars, the inflation, the rising gas prices, right, the supply chain issues, the economic problems, our grocery bills right, that have gone through the roof, our shrinking bank accounts, right? the problems in the Middle East, the problems in Europe, which is heading to its worst winter ever since World War II. The destabilization and the collapse of countries that we're seeing one by one, none of those things really should surprise us because God's word told us they were coming, right? Told us that these were birth pains leading up to something. And these birth pains that we are experiencing now are showing us just that. What are they showing us, Right? Because we, of all people, should clearly understand what's happening. And it's showing us that Satan is at work. It's showing us that the kingdom of the Antichrist is being assembled. Right? It's not finished yet. It's under construction. Right? I, wanted, I wish I could have found it. I wanted to find a, a time lapse of a, like a, a building being put together. I couldn't find one that I could use. But just think of that. It's the idea that it's being assembled as you speak right now. It's not finished. It's not, not ready to move in. The lights aren't ready to be turned on yet. But it's being assembled. And one day it will be completely ready. And they'll flip on the lights and the Antichrist will walk in. Right? You and I, we won't be here for that. God promises us that. But one day that will happen. And that's what we're seeing now. We, all people, should understand that because God's word tells us. So concerning these things, the Bible tells us, hey, guess what? You shouldn't be uninformed. Well, how would you be uninformed? Well, you would be uninformed if you didn't bother to read your Bible. Right? It said you shouldn't be shaken. You shouldn't be alarmed. Instead, what you should do is stand firm the truth of God's word because God's word tells us exactly what our response should be concerning the times in which we live. And the first thing that we should be, the first thing it tells us you can find in Matthew chapter 24, among other places, is that we should not be deceived. We should not be deceived, right? Because Satan is a deceiver. I mean, have you heard the quote, um, the greatest trick that Satan ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist? I, I don't know. I'm probably not phrasing it correctly, but have you ever heard that quote? You know what's scarier than that? Is that the world knows he exists and they don't care. That's what's scarier than that. He doesn't have to convince them that he doesn't exist. He just has to convince them that he's not a threat. That he's not a problem. That his way is the right way. Right? I say the world knows he exists and they just don't care. They are more than happy to continue in their demonic ways. Because why? Because they have been deceived into thinking that wrong is right and right is wrong. Right? Satan has convinced people that God's word is wrong and that truth is whatever you want it to be. And people are happy with that. Right? Let me give you an example. Do you know that the church of Satan is suing right now at least three different states currently. They're suing at least three different states. What for? For the right to abortion. Because they claim it is their demonic right. That abortion is their demonic right. right. So as states continue to pass these laws that outline abortion specifically late-term abortions and things like that, where you can abort the baby after it's born, like California's trying to do and things like that. When these states start you know, passing these laws. The Church of Satan is then suing the states, these states for their demonic right, they say. This is our demonic right to abortion. So, if I don't know that any of these cases will ever get very far, but let's just play what if for a second. What if one of these cases wins? What if? Do you know that then everyone who, whether directly or indirectly, supports abortion, such as the Democratic Party, uh, all the states that allow it still currently, like I said, California, for example, even Washington State, most major corporations... Right? Big companies such as Amazon, for example. All these places will then have to admit that what they are supporting is satanic. Because it will be on the books that abortion is a demonic right, satanic right. And even if that happens, you know what? I don't think any of them will blink, I don't think it'll phase them. Because they have been deceived and they have been blinded to the truth. So the first way we are to respond to the world is to not be deceived. The second way we should respond, the Bible tells us, is that we should not be troubled. Right? Our hearts should not be weighed down. We should not be anxious, as we read in Matthew. Philippians 4, verse 6 tells us, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? Don't worry. Be happy. That doesn't quite work, but don't be anxious, right? Don't let your hearts get weighed down. Don't let them be troubled by what you're seeing. Now, that's a little difficult, don't you think? Because there's lots of things for us to be anxious about. I mean, I don't make it a habit of watching the news. But if you do, you're probably taking some sort of medication to help you cope. <laughs> right? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a good thing to watch. It's easy to get anxious and worried and troubled. I mean, I mean, we have things to worry about. But here's the thing about the word anxious in the Greek that I want you to understand. Because it's not saying don't have worries. It's not telling you that. You're going to have worries. But what are you going to do with those worries? How are you handling those worries? What are you letting those worries do? Right. That's what it's actually referring to. When you take that word in the Greek and you go all the way back to the root, because it has like four roots, and you follow it all the way back as far as you can, you're going to find that the root for that Greek word means um, apart. It's not apart, But a part, right? As in, there is a part that you're either giving or a part that's been given to you, depending on the context. A part. So, what it's saying is when it's telling you not to be anxious, it says, don't give a part of you over to anxiety, don't give a part of you over to worry. What, you should, what, you, what should you be giving it over to? You should be giving it over to God. Because if you give it over to anxiety or if you give it over to worry, then what you're doing is, you're in a sense, giving yourself to that. And you're letting that inform your decisions. And you're letting that make your choices. And you're letting that guide your steps. And if we're going to let worry and anxiety guide us, then we're not letting God guide us. And our choices are going to be completely wrong, right? But we have a lot to worry about. Or we're told we have a lot to worry about anyway, if you watch the news, right? It would seem that, you know, the world in which we live in, the mainstream media, the government, big tech, etc. whoever it is that's back there controlling the narrative or trying to control the narrative, they want you worried. I mean, they want you to live in fear, Right? They want you immobilized and frozen in fear. They want you in the bed with the covers pulled up over your head all the time, 24-7 saying, I'm not getting out. The world's a big, scary place. I don't want to step out into it. Right? Because why? Because it makes you easier to manipulate. Right? I mean, fear-mongering is commonplace now. You can't get away from it. And you know that because it, you turn on, like I said, you turn on the news, you read a paper, you, you don't even have to watch the news. I don't watch the news and I can keep up on current events because they just flash on my phone all the time. And I try to block them, right? But they're just, it, it doesn't matter what you're connected to, current events, you, know, you just get and see them all the time. So, so you look at your phone and all of a sudden, Russia and Ukraine are going nuclear, right? Russia has deployed 11 strategic bombers capable of nuclear weapons in the Murmansk region, Putin is building up his nuclear strike options and he's crazy enough to use them, trust me. And, with, you know, Iran is supplying Russia with more suicide drones that have a range of about 1,200 miles. And guess what? The United States said yesterday, the United States defense secretary said that the U.S. is nearing the end of its capacity to give any help to the Ukraine. That's... That, none of that looks good. Right? None of that looks good. Which is kind of... That's kind of surprising from the defense secretary, but, you know, they haven't been asking for receipts and there's... They have no idea where Ukraine's been spending all those billions of dollars. But they got assets over there to protect that they've been hiding since World War II, so that's a different story. I mean, number 46 said that we haven't been this close to Armageddon since the Cuban Missile Crisis. He tells us, well, you should be prepared. How? So I don't blame anybody about being anxious or worried about that type of stuff. Right? But the Bible also tells us that in these days, the people will just go on about life, eating, drinking, marrying, right? As if it was all normal and nothing was wrong. As in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot. That's ignorance, right? Blissfully ignorant to the world of ends, blissfully ignorant to what's happening, wearing blinders. To the truth. Still going to Starbucks, I don't care. As long as I get my, what is it now? Pumpkin spice latte. (laughs) Right? Knowing nothing. Knowing nothing of what is about to happen. And then you read about things like the the fentanyl problem. Right? The last 42 days... Just around 6,500 Americans have died from overdoses. The fentanyl. It's a drug that's being produced to look like rainbow candy. It's being brought in, yeah, being brought in over the open borders, being supplied to the Mexican cartels by China. No one's doing anything about it. So I can understand worrying about that. Just like I said, there's things to worry about that we see. We should, be, we should read these things and be disturbed, quite frankly. We should read these days and have a sense of worry, but we'll, are we going to let this change our focus? Are we going to let this commandeer our life? Are we going to give our life over to this worry because of these things? Or are we going to give our life over to God? There's another thing that causes anxiety too. It just came up again in the news on CNN. It's called rapture anxiety. Right? We talked about this back when we were going through Revelation, but it hit the news again. People are still anxious about the rapture. Right? I mean, Christians claim that they have PTSD today because of their evangelical upbringings and teachings concerning the rapture. And that's why they don't believe in it today. They've found a way to help their anxiety by just discounting the fact that it's true, right? (laughs) And I find it funny, and I don't mean to laugh, but it really just drives home my point about biblical illiteracy. See, if people knew what the Bible actually said, if they had been taught correctly concerning the days that we live in, and the blessed hope of the rapture, right? That's Titus 2.13, by the way, right? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? They wouldn't be anxious or afraid. If they actually knew what God's word said concerning the rapture, they would not be anxious or afraid. They would not be but they haven't been taught. Or if they have been taught, they were taught wrong. Or they just never have read themselves what God's Word says about it. Because if you don't read what God's Word says, if you're never taught, if you don't read your Bibles, well then your response is just the opposite, right? You are fearful, you are anxious, Your hearts do become crushed by the weight and the worries of the world. What does God's word say? Well, for example, John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's what Jesus says. That should never cause anybody anxiety. Jesus says, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to bring you home. I've prepared a place for you and you will spend eternity with me. Why are you having anxiety over that? Maybe it's because you didn't know it. You never read it, and you never taught it. See, people are looking for an answer, right? They're looking for a glimmer of light in the darkness that surrounds them, and the world has nothing to offer them, nothing. And they're not going to find the hope that they're looking for in the world. There is no world leader that's going to take away their problems. There is absolutely no politician in the country. That has a solution to anything. The only answer is Jesus. Right? As it says in Psalms 147:3, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He can cast your anxieties away. That's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, don't lose heart. Right? Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. And yes, it is, right? Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, listen, light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal, right? When we understand God's word, when we be become biblically literate because we're staying in God's word, we're reading God's word, we're going to a church that teaches God's word. And not just some sort of self-help seminar. Then we understand that, the, that we, one, will face tribulations. Absolutely. God has not promised that you won't. He says he will. He says, I did, you will. But he says, don't worry, right? Don't fear. Take heart, right? He says, I've said these things to you that in you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Right? So when we know those things and we face these things, whether they're big or small, every other day or daily, right? And it seems like right now they're daily, hourly almost. I'm expecting another tribulation any minute. Right? Right? <laughs> We can remember that they are just light, momentary afflictions. Because we don't remember that when they're happening, but we should. Jesus tells us, his word tells us, God's word says, these are just light, momentary afflictions. And they compare nothing to the eternal glory that you will have in Christ Jesus. So what are you focused on? What's defining your worldview? Are tomorrow's troubles too much? Hmm? And turn to Jesus, right? Because in Jesus, you will have peace. And in Jesus, you will find hope. That's what you need to be telling people. That's what you need to be sharing. Because like I said, people are looking and they're in the dark and they can't find hope and their spirits are being crushed. But then they look and they see you. And you're this shining light, or you should be. And they say, Hey, what's going on over there? How is it that your light's shining when my spirit's crushed? And you can say, Is that me? Trust me, I'm going through problems too. It's Jesus. Right? Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. Right? But take heart. I have overcome the world. But then he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What's the difference between the peace that Jesus gives and the peace that the world gives? It's a real simple answer. It's Philippians 4, chapter 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that Jesus gives you, his peace, surpasses all understanding. It makes absolutely no sense. To you, or to anybody else looking at you, or to the world. I'm, I'm watching you. I'm seeing what you're going through. Everything has fallen apart for you. But you're at peace. That makes zero sense. I don't understand it. How can you be at peace? How? Well, because I have a peace that Jesus gave me. It's His peace, and it surpasses all understanding. It makes no sense to me either. I can't explain it other than that it's just Jesus. So take these words, take this understanding. God says, write these words in, on your heart. This is what you should be doing with God's word. You should be writing it on your heart. Right? Laying up these words, it says in Deuteronomy, like lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. So, excuse me, you should be laying up these words in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. Because you need them to get you through. You need to fall back on them. This is what you need to guide you. This is what you need to follow. Because it has all the answers. It tells you what's coming. And it tells you how to respond and how you should be. And it says, do not be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Don't be deceived. Follow Jesus. Right? Seek first. How did it end the message that we read this morning in Matthew 6? It said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, for the strength and the power that comes from it. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that continues. To build us up and remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we can continue to share that. And I pray that we just continue to stay focused on that. And we just continue to follow you because the days are evil, the days are dark, and the worries are great. And they can get overwhelming. But if we give ourselves to them, then we're taking ourselves away from you. So we need to give ourselves to you so that we don't worry about these things and that we understand that you are with us, that you care for us, that you're going to see us through it. And everything that we're going through right now is nothing compared to eternity with you and the hope that's found in that. So I pray, Lord, that we can share that. I thank you, Lord, for this word, and I thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray, Lord, you just bless all those who are here, all those who couldn't make it, and our time of fellowship afterwards. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Amen.